Okay, three-point range has convened. We have a quorum. There's all three of us. And uh, this is Mike Berardino, along with the scout, Kimball Crosley, who seems to have stuff he wants to say, so we're going to do a show. And the professor, Tim Crothers, who kindly made time for us, wedged us into his busy schedule now that the semester is well underway. And uh, let's go right to the professor in Chapel Hill. All right. Well, I know how you all love my stories, and so we're going to start out with a, with a story today. Um, and by the way, shout out to, to one of our most loyal listeners, Becca. She loves my stories. That's why she says she tunes in well, for the long and the short of my stories. So I'll try to keep this one short. But it was uh, 1978 <clears throat> in uh, New Canaan, Connecticut at the Field Club. It was a, our, a small uh, tennis and swim club that, that I belong to. And uh, the tennis ladder for the 14 and under division uh, that year uh, was number one, Dave Baldwin, and number two, Tim Crothers. Um, Dave Baldwin at that time was, a, was kind of a, a, a mashup of Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe, and Jimmy Connors. And uh, I was sort of the Harold Solomon of my day. Mike, do you, you in for that reference? I do remember. He's from South Florida, Harold Solomon. There you yeah. go. There it was, you go. He and Brian Gottfried were kind of linked in my mind. I, I figured, I figured yeah. you would, you would, you'd be in for that. But for our young Knee socks. I believe they both wore knee socks. There you go. There you go. I, I don't think I did. I, I, don't, I, I didn't play in any socks, but that was, oh. that's another story for another day. Uh, for our younger listeners, we can we could say Federer, Nadal, and uh, and Djokovic was Dave Baldwin, and then I was kind of Diego Schwartzman or something like that. Um, and so anyway, we're playing. Uh, I, I challenge him, which you're you know challenge him to a duel. I challenge him to a challenge match. Bet first to eight games, and uh, I will never forget the first two points of that match. The first point, and you all have played me in tennis, so you know you know what this is all about. Ooh. I hit some nasty, nasty uh, backhand slice, and uh, it basically hits the court and bounces back toward me. And he takes this monstrous topspin forehand swing and and nails it off the off the back screen. So I'm up fifteen love, and I'm thinking, yep, I I am totally winning this match. He is going to get so frustrated with me. I am all set. And uh, it's going to be the greatest upset ever. Next point, I serve one in, and he hits throw. It's a monstrous forehand smash that goes barreling past me, uh, where I didn't even see it. And uh, and I'm thinking he's going to kill me. I'm not going to win another point. And I think that's one of the things that I love about tennis. And it, you know, it's always nice for us us amateurs to be able to to be able to try to put ourselves in the shoes of actual professional athletes and i think you can at least psychologically when it comes to tennis because i feel like i feel like i'm not alone in that uh and i don't know whether you guys think that way as well but i feel like i'm not alone in that idea that that uh one minute you're on top of the world you're thinking i got this match and the next minute it can be just on the very next point you're thinking there is no chance on God's green earth that I'm going to, uh, that I can win this match. And I think, think to myself about 
about our friend Nick Kyrgios because uh, you know I've been following him through the U.S. Open here over the past ten days, and and uh, and that that Nick Kyrgios is is my, is me in in you know on a on a giant massive scale um, in that I, when you watch watch him play, you think at one minute this guy is the best player in the world and the next minute he might just quit he might just he might just be done um i think he i think he's one of the greatest curiosities in sports and and i'm going to trademark this you guys now are my witness so if anybody tries to curiosity me, no that's me that's me like, <laughs> insanity mine. i led you to that i led you to that <laughs> Hashtag. The greatest curiosity in sports that's mine. I'm not giving up any of the any of the rights. So anyway, cur- he's he is a cur- curiosity. He is fascinating to watch, and I, I you know I, I I don't know how much of of this you watch, but you've certainly seen him play. I mean, he was he was a finalist at Wimbledon. When he played, he knocked out two nights ago. He knocked out Daniel Medvedev, the number one seed. And honestly, when he's playing and on his game, serving. 135 miles an hour, wherever he wants it, hitting full out ground strokes on both sides. He was, he looked like the best player in the world, probably the best player who's ever picked up a tennis racket. And then last night, he's playing against uh, Hachinov from Russia, and it did, it did end up going five sets, and he and, and Kyrgios ended up losing. But the entire time you're watching the match, you're thinking, where is that guy with from the other night? Because all of a sudden he's got a he's worried he's got a knee problem. He's bitching at his box. He's slamming tennis rackets after the match. He he just obliterated two two tennis rackets while Hashinov is out waving to the crowd. You can hear in the background Kyrio smashing racket after racket after racket. And I'm thinking, I I want to like Nick Kyrgios. The the night the night after he beat Medvedev. They did an interview, an on-court interview with him, and they were asking him about, you know, it seems like you kind of turned it around that all of this stuff in your background for years of, quit, you know, being being accused of quitting in the middle of matches and serving between his legs and all this stuff that, that sort of makes a mockery of the game, he seemed to be putting it all behind him, that Wimbledon was a, was maybe the, the spark for it and getting that far, and now he'd kind of, he'd kind of shown some maturity lately. And then this this thing happens last night where I think I can't believe I fell for this. I'm such a sucker. I actually fell for the the idea that that Nick Kyrgios has kind of you know matured that he's kind of figured it out. And I you know I know he's got a lot he's got a lot going on on in his in his background. I mean there's there's all sorts of stuff. I mean I I I hate to dig this skeleton out, but he does have he does have some sort of domestic abuse trial that he's got to deal with when he gets back to Australia. This is a family he's got, show. He's got all sorts of skeletons. There's no doubt. But, uh, but I just, it, it's just one of these things. It's, it's what is it about us as fans? And I'm not alone in wanting, in, in rooting for Nick Kyrgios because when he's playing Hatchinoff last night, the New York crowd is totally behind Kyrgios, even though he's acting a fool, even though he's doing all of his usual shenanigans, the crowd is is ninety five percent curious, 
5% hatching off, and I don't think it's because the crowd was so sophisticated that they're rooting against the Russian guy. I think they're just rooting for the, the guy who is the clown, the entertainer, the, you know, the, the bad boy. And it just makes me think, well, what is it about us as, as sports fans? Because this isn't, you know, there are other examples of this all over sports where we root for these jackasses and against somebody who, you know, like Hatchinoff, who has absolutely other than other than being uh, being connected to, to Russia at this point, has absolutely nothing, nothing against him that that we'd want to we'd want to be rooting against him. So I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm kind of at this point now where where I just can't I, I, I can't quit. I can't quit curious. I keep wanting. I keep every time I think I can't do it anymore. I can't root for him anymore. I I want to root for him again. And then something like last night happens, and I think, why? How am I just falling for this over and over and over again? And uh, it's kind of it's this sort of jackass syndrome that we just we we just can't can't stop rooting for these guys who who disappoint us over and over and over again. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, how do you how do you all feel about it? Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's I just think it's something that that uh, I've been putting a lot of thought into over the last week because because I wanted to uh, I want I want to try to understand. So help me understand, guys. Why do we root for the jackasses? Kimball? Oh, well, I think, you know. We get so many things out of sports, right? And you know, I'm about to talk about my topic. You'll we'll talk about oh, one your of my voice. Favorite. By the way, you okay? No, I'm fine. One of my okay, favorite right. topics is coming up, and and we get different things out of sports. And I'm a little surprised that you're so intrigued by the personality here, um, because I know. Well, it seems to me, and from what you said in the past, you're all about the story, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to sports, you're all about the story. So yeah. The answer here is pretty Always obvious. Always rooting for the story. We, yeah, we have a uh -huh. story that's ever changing, moment uh -huh. to moment. One minute he's got it together, the next minute he doesn't. I don't know if you're also getting something out of the personal. You know, uh, oh, I had my own emotional issues in tennis, so it's interesting to, you know, live vicariously through this guy. Um, it's true. Yeah, that's part but, of it. But you know, I was just—I coincidentally I was just listening to some of the John McEnroe. Um, uh, bio thing that's out there. I don't know if it's on Netflix or whatever. I was listening to it on the radio, but McEnroe was, you know, a similar version of Kyrgios. And, yeah. and it's so interesting because who would have thought 30 years later, you know, he would be this very articulate, introspective man. And I, I've rarely heard an interview with an athlete where he was so honest about himself in the past because he was talking about losing a classic uh, match to Lendl and the French Open and saying, you know, quite honestly, well, part of it was I choked and part of it was this and part of it was that. I'm like, uh -huh. athletes just don't say this. And who would have <laughs> thought, you know, when you saw this brat, you know, 40 years ago, would you say, oh, no, no, he's going to evolve into a very intelligent, articulate, introspective commentator on all things sports and the human condition and tennis? So mm -hmm. maybe maybe that's curious. Maybe in twenty years he's going to be <laughs> this this mild spokesman for tennis. I don't know. It's it. I can see why why it's fascinating to you. You're right that McEnroe McEnroe is definitely the, you know he was he was the curious of his day, 
and I, I guess I, I don't, I don't recall. I mean, obviously, I, we were all old enough at that point to to be reasonably sophisticated fans in late teens when that was all going on, and I don't recall being rooting for McEnroe the way I want to root for Curios, and I don't know why that is, but there's it, just something about about this guy. I maybe you know that Curios does show his vulnerability at times. I mean, when he was interviewed after the after the Medvedev match. He talked about basically how he's a, how he's been a screw up in the past. I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing this, but he, how about he's been a screw up in the past, but that he's really worked hard on it, and you know, with the help of his team and blah blah blah, he is he's he's sort of seen the light, and you know, to listen to him talk, you would have thought, okay, he's turned the corner, and then it wasn't 48 hours later that he was right back to his old self. So, uh, and I. You're right. I think part of what it makes what it, what is fascinating about it to me is that you know is that those of us who've played the game played played singles at any sort of competitive level know um, just how just what a mental grind it is. Uh, it is it is as, you know it is just a fascinating psychological experiment to go through a tennis match and kind of the ride the the highs and lows. So I get what he's going through, at a, obviously at a much giant, much higher level, but uh, but yes, he's obviously just so incredibly fragile, and you just think as you're watching him, any point could set him off, and you know he could just he could just completely collapse, and it's actually what cost him the match last night, is in in a more subtle way than than the way he usually operates, where he either just storms off the court completely or just completely tanks the rest of the match. He just did it in smaller spurts last night where he'd get mad and he would end up getting, you know, just sort of losing his mind for one game and and that they were close enough in level that that was enough to cost him the match. And, you know, then he smashes his racket and then he goes in, into the, into the uh, interview room afterward and praises Hutchinoff and says all the right stuff. So it's just, it is just, it is really... It's just really curious. That's all it is. It's curious. Yeah, well, I know Mike wants to move things along, but but I feel the need to make this comment because in this one comment, I think I might mention all our loyal listeners, although Mike might have to throw in a Jim Callis mention. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I will say that I was with my dad and my girlfriend last week, and he was talking. My dad loves tennis, and he was talking about curios and saying, Oh, I think, you know, he was saying that his girlfriend has really settled him down. <laughs> so, so much for that. Kyrgios <laughs> mentioned his girlfriend after the Medvedev right? match and how that's changed, you know, how that's really helped him. Well, it worked for 48 hours. That's about it. Right. And the other thing I will say um, is that I played last week. I, I had one of my rare tennis matches against my nemesis, Joe McManus, another loyal listener. And I was coming off a tough road trip and, um, no excuses. No, I was incredibly tired. No excuses. I had to get up really early. I'd flown in. Nothing but excuses. I had no energy, but what I'm going to tell you is it's not an excuse. I won that match. Okay. And one of the reasons I won is because I allowed myself to be emotional because I needed to get angry to summon some energy and, and, and cause I was so tired and I needed to like, to, to fight the way, you know, a Connors or a McEnroe used to and, and, and like to get the, the blood going. Um, so I think, I think that's part of it. You know, we've talked about that before, even with Curios is like, you kind of have to be yourself. So I, I will let Mike 
throw in something in a last mic, you know, quiet mic. Temper Boy, where are you on this? Are you, were you a McEnroe <laughs> fan? Because I kind of rooted for him despite his temper. Were you a McEnroe fan, a Nastasi fan, a, a Curios fan? Because we have seen you smash a racket, my racket. <laughs> No, I, I'm on record. No, it's not funny. It's a, I, 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 I'm going to say that we're captivated, taking myself out of the equation, by meltdowns, by car crashes, by train wrecks and dumpster fires and tortured genius. And what you're describing with that guy, Curios, the curiosity comes from, you know, how low will he sink and then how high can he go and what's the rebound and how went, what triggers it and all that. It's just it's you're watching... An element it sounds. I'm not watching the U.S. Open this year. I'm busy with Notre Dame football. But but what you're, uh, I did catch a little bit of the uh, highlights of Nadal's loss to a uh, to the young player Tiafo. Is that how you say it? And he uh -huh. seems, he seems worth watching. But even Tiafo was melting down briefly because he was distracted by the the noise from closing the roof. And <laughs> it's like you talk about fragile. It's like oh the noise. <laughs> You know, I, mean, I thought the, the whole thing about U.S. Open all those years was you had to wait for the plane to fly over, right? That, right. You know, that, uh -huh. that was always the cool thing. They had to, oh, you know, just, just bounce the ball a few more times before the serve. Connors was always captivating because, especially at the U.S. Open, especially as he got older, he could get the crowd on his side with his humor, and he would manufacture conflict, and and it worked. And what you're describing, I, I think I don't think all events are created equal. I don't even think all the Grand Slams are created equal. I think that you you can pull some stuff at the U.S. Open that you could never pull at Wimbledon, and that the French wouldn't respond to. And Australian Open, I never watch it anyway. So there, that is what's cool about the U.S. Open is there's a long tradition of getting the crowd on your side. And the other thing, and I'll just, and we'll move on to the next one, that friends box and what. What what Kimball's dad was alluding to it. That's a that's one of the captivating things about tennis through the years is they're so good at making you feel like you care. You either hate the people in the friends box, <laughs> or, or like, what are they doing in the friends box, or you or you feel for them. You know, like they're just all biting their nails and fingers clasped and they're praying their way through it, waiting for the next meltdown, just dreading it. And that's how I used to watch Lendl's matches because he was he was my guy. Because I just thought, I felt for him. I, I knew what that was like. And uh, on a tennis court, long tradition of choking. It, you can feel it happening. It golf, <laughs> you know, you know it, it can just be one shaky moment. And uh, one one net cord that comes back your way or whatever. And, and then it's over. It's just over. It's just so hard to turn it. But so that's all that stuff is fun. And it's, I'm so glad that people have found our, our new direction here on Add Out. The tennis podcast for people who can't play tennis. All right, so that was twenty solid minutes of tennis talk, and I'm really hoping it's good to see you guys. Are we done? Can I? It's can good. I, can we I go now? We sure as heck should be. We should be. I think that was a perfect tennis tennis centric podcast. But now Kimball's got some stuff, and as always, I fear so much that we're going to have to talk again about. His, no. his nemesis. No. I don't need Please I say not. his name. Please Kimball, no. are you gonna make us talk about he <laughs> yes, will it's, not it is be time named. for my Tim's oh, has some therapy. God. It's time for my therapy session. Tennis, um, more tennis. 
But no, but you know, there's a, a sport out there that's even more popular than tennis, believe it or not, and that is the NFL um, football. I've never heard and, of it. Yeah, and um, the season starts Thursday, what? so you know we should we should try and be a little topical here. Um, <laughs> what topical? Hey, I don't even topical what day materials last night? What are you talking well, about? Well, no, right. Okay, true. Um, uh, I'm here to tell you that Tom Brady is going to win his eighth Super Bowl. <laughs> Yep, and the only reason he's going to win, I know, a lot of stuff I know this, on. is because I think him winning an eighth Super Bowl title is the only way he can continue to torment me. Because for those of you that have been following, I mean, you talking about it's just textbook. You are <laughs> pathetic. The, the only way, because for those of you who've been following and know the backstory, right? He. he 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 defeats my life because my theory in life is that we all, you know, we all leave lead mediocre lives in the end and we all on our deathbed go, eh, meh, it was okay. And <laughs> when anyone's out there disproving my theory, okay, uh, it 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 blows up my world. And and Tom Brady is is the poster boy for that. Like he's the one guy that I can think of out there that just everything just seems perfect and charmed and it always turns out right for him. But not so much, right? Because maybe since going public with my theory, things have not gone so well for Mr. Brady. Um, he even so. You think this, you you control that? Is that, well, is that what you're yes. telling us? <laughs> yes, okay. we all live in our own little world. Truman Show. <laughs> so, so you know, he had a little breakdown of his own in a press conference recently. Um, where he talked about all the stuff going on in his life at 45, and 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 again. Uh, he took some time off from his team, which is just unheard of uh, for a guy that was supposed to be Mr. Team Leader to like, oh, I'm just bagging out on 11 days of training camp and under mysterious circumstances. And it was so much fun to, for these people to try and figure out where where was Tom during this? OK, and there was some thought there was a theory out there that seemed like the lead theory at one time that he was actually um, performing on the masked singer. And I thought, well, if he is really out there taking 11 days off from training camp to be on the masked singer, I've won. I'm right. He is in full midlife crisis mode. He doesn't know what to do with it. It proves all my, my theories on life, that you can win seven Super Bowls and be like, eh, I'm not satisfied. I've got to go do the masked singer. What if he wins uh, the masked singer? Yeah, that, <laughs> I, that would... I, I don't think I think it could only help me. I think I think it could only help me. Now if you you know, if you did something, you know, uh like won an Academy Award for acting or something like that, but I, I would have no problem massing or whatever, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't that wouldn't bother me. But then there was also the theory that he's out there getting plastic surgery. And if you saw the press conference and saw his face, oh yeah, you'd say, well, maybe that's show. true. And then the whole idea that this guy this guy who's got it all going for him. Oh, I'm sorry. I need a little plastic surgery. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How, how fragile are you, Tom? And so I, I, I love it. I think I'm, I'm gaining ground. You know, my theories are coming true. But of course, he can defeat that all by taking 11 days off from training camp and then going out and winning another Super Bowl. So what do you guys think? I, I'm hoping that actually he doesn't win the Super Bowl, that maybe he doesn't even finish the season, that something comes up and he's like, look, I'm not really into this. I retired, I unretired, I'm out. And that and that only helps me because, you know, the New England fans, 
his beloved New England fans are out on him. They all think he's a prima donna now, and they don't like the way who Tom Brady has turned into. What say you guys? I want to know what it's going to take for you to call to say it's even Steven for Tom Brady. That, that you know what has to happen. I mean, obviously you're rooting against his marriage. Obviously, that's <laughs> uh, you know that's that's pretty clear because you need that to happen. Yeah, and then what? What else has to happen? I mean, what 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 has to happen to him at this point? So by the end, we can call it even, Stephen. I, I think it's I think it's happening. Is my point that my whole point is that you know, it's, one it's, masked singer and some face and a facelift, yeah, and, you're, because, and it's even because it's that all about, you, seven it's, Super Bowls. It's no, happening. It's it's all about how we see ourselves, right? And and it, you know, it's like we, how we all judge our own lives and that, you know, as we talked about before, the human condition, you know, that just like things are neither bad nor good, but thinking makes them so. And so we, we are victims of our, our own expectations. And obviously to an outsider, like I, I might seem to have a charmed life, but to me, I'm like, you know, miserable half the time. Well, that's all I want is him to be miserable half the time like the rest <laughs> of us. And when you're going off and doing the mass singer and when you're having plastic surgery mm -hmm. and just listening to him at press conference, you know, he's not sitting there going like, woohoo, I've got it all going on. He's got a lot of stuff going on in his life. Well, wow. Uh, <laughs> did you guys see Ted? Remember the Brady work in Ted? Did you think he was good in Ted? I don't remember. You know, with the little, little bear, little foul-mouthed bear. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to muster all this Brady hatred that you have because he, you know, I thought he was good in Ted, but uh, Ted with a T. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, uh, well, another couple things jump out. You know, it, it's not true that athletes haven't uh, major major stars haven't just selectively opted in and opted out of seasons. Remember Roger Clemens would just show up in June and get a full full season's worth of pay and, and football, half a season. Well, Tom, camp. Tom Brady, football, Tom Brady has skipped OTAs. Leader. No, no, you're, 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 you're forgetting about all the OTAs he skipped even in New England. Um, he was never fully committed to the, uh, all the off season work because uh, he does, he's proven he doesn't really need it, but uh the thing that he'd really better be careful about, and and you know, I know this seems unthinkable to people that uh, a guy who uh, you know doesn't beat you necessarily physically, but a forty-five-year-old guy with a lot of stuff going on, as we saw with Bonds and Clemens, it's very hard to stay at the very top level of sport when you're competing against people who are half your age, uh, and they were became ensnared eventually in in things um and brady somehow i don't know i'm not here to cast aspersions uh but uh it is fascinating to me that uh you know that sarah high produced uh barry bonds and tom brady so uh i just two guys who took it into their mid-40s and just kept tempting fate whether it was going to be an injury that would or an embarrassment or something about what it takes to stay at that level when you have no business competing against people half your age. No business. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they've changed the rules in the NFL before just to, so you can't launch from a prone position because uh, just because that happened to Brady and ended one season long ago. So I can't imagine they'll, even if, he, if there were a positive test, they'd ever let it see the light of day. But then 
Deflategate happened, and that was kind of embarrassing and goofy. So uh, I just don't know why he's still playing. I really don't. Um, and so I guess uh, I'm with Giselle. I think Giselle's <laughs> right. It's about time to take the kids to school. Also, the Derek Jeter documentary was terrible. But, uh, <laughs> made me think of that that old celebrity thing. And of course, I think he lived in. I think he lives in Jeter's old house. So uh, maybe the house is is the problem. Well, if your uh, point is that Derek Jeter, another charmed life guy, yeah. who seems to be having his own sort of crisis now, you know, uh, he's he's a great example. I think he's he's looking for a second act. Yeah. In the in, in the interest of expediency, yeah. see my comments when Kimball brought this up in, in episodes 3, 7, 9, 12, 14, 21, <laughs> 35, 47, 61, and 65. Wow. Go ahead, Mike. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so the problem is uh, our meeting is going to end in five minutes because Cisco mm -hmm. Webex <laughs> keeps changing this. And we did do a salute to all tennis, all things tennis in the opening segment. I just... I'm, I got to set the timer here real quick, make sure we don't go too long. I don't want us to get cut off because we're certainly not going to go back to it. I'm just here real quickly to say, uh, it, and I kind of toggle on this, but this week I'm back to pitying Brian Kelly. And, <laughs> and, and I don't know how I keep getting back to this, but he's got $95 million coming and it was a messy exit. And I'm sitting here in South Bend and people just pile on on Twitter and that, that special teams meltdown against the Florida state was just horrific and classic, but I'm just real quickly going to say, and I, maybe we'll have to carry it in. It'll come up in the future, but I'm not here to, to uh, embarrass any reporters. Cause it, you know, we get enough uh, flack as it is, but uh, it's been the incorrect read out there for anyone who doesn't know. I believe it's the incorrect read to be praising the Baton Rouge Advocate reporter who, so, who quote-unquote clapped back at Brian Kelly for being told that because she was late to the meeting, uh, to the press conference, that there'd be a $10 fine. He was making a little silly joke. And she said, and got way too much credit for, well, if you'd win, maybe I'd be on time. And he said it's not about winning, it's about being on time. Somehow, every... Twitter take on it that I've seen has been put her in the Hall of Fame. Brian Kelly, what a loser. This and that. So obviously he's reached that point uh, in his life, in his public life, that he cannot win. People will not give him a fair shake on this. Journalists don't care who wins or loses. True journalists do. And I don't believe she cared. It was a bad line. And she subsequently fell on her sword on social media and said that she had apologized to Kelly and that she, you know, she just came out. She was rushing over from a doctor appointment. Better thing might be to say, well, if you'd say something interesting, we'll show up on time. And sometimes with Brian Kelly, if you wouldn't spend the first 10 minutes talking about this week's opponent, I'll show up on time. You know, that kind of thing. Cause he really does break it all down. You know, you know, we really got to be careful about Toledo's this and that. So anyway, we're running uh, short on time, but I'm just here to say, uh, everyone out there, let's not put a reporter in the Hall of Fame who says that winning and losing determines whether we're going to show up to cover a team, because actually losing is more compelling. I know you guys would agree with that. Well, I'm going to disagree because I'm going to say, oh, you know God, what? we don't have time. No, she's she's allowed to punch up because he was almost literally punching down from his podium 
there, and he's she Mr. Power. Up, she punched up incorrectly. I agree with that. Power. She punched and up. So, she punched so, up. She but when you're punching up, sometimes you have to go for the jugular. You know, you have to go for like the thing that's going to hurt him most. So you know, that, I I think I it, think it being boring, sense. being boring, uh, or predictable like you and Tom Brady, that's a better <laughs> punch up than to bring up winning and losing because every the whole idea of being a homer. We were taught by Lee. I was taught by Lee Roberts and Tim, and maybe Kimball never really got it, that the worst thing you could be in journalism is a homer. So, and I don't believe she's a homer, but that's how it came off. And then around the country, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, the whole, all the emojis of the kids all laughing in a, in a group and whatever. No, no, it, uh, punching up fine, but don't bring winning and losing into it because we don't care. We're not supposed to care. And I don't believe most places. Let Kim really say what care. he thinks. We, he's got, he's got 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I'll, <clears throat> I'll say that the, that the best example of this is I haven't heard a single person, and we've talked about this before, the dread of second guessing. And this, I haven't heard a single person support Brian Kelly at all for you know, deciding to try to, to, to tie that game instead of trying to win that game. Um, yeah, I, it's, it, it just shows you in my view what, you know, where, <clears throat> where Brian Kelly has fallen in terms of, of, you know, everybody's opinion. We all think he's an idiot. I don't, I don't, I don't agree. I think he's fine. I think he's a, I think he's a good coach in a bad situation and, uh, he's got a, he's got a long season ahead. And by the way, I did beat Dave Baldwin that day. <laughs> well, that's going to do it. We uh, are out of time. We thank you for listening once again to Three Point Range, uh, the unpredictable and uh, always uh, tennis-heavy, Tom Brady-heavy podcast. For the scout, Kimball Crosley, and the professor, Tim Crothers, this has been Mike Berardino. Have a great week. Thank you.